So I have got an amazing idea. Okay, I'm all ears. I want to do a documentary yeah. about documentaries. A documentary about documentaries. Yeah, like document, 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 document documentaries. Yeah. Yeah, I do, see where you're going with do, it, I think. Documentary. It's very meta. I, I don't know I'm how you're going to... I'm not sure what that oh, word means. Hey, wait a second. We're rolling. All right, well, then let's roll. Well, I'm Rich. And I'm Mark. And we are Two, two guys, guys on Block, Block Island. What shall we do with all right. Well, uh, thanks for listening this uh, week. We have a great guest. I know I always say that because I try to always pick great people. Well, because we always have great guests. Yeah, but this it's guest not in fault. particular, I, I think, you know, this might be one of those where we're not anywhere near the smartest person in the room, but uh, uh, a great. Uh, I've never uh, met our guest today. Oh, really? Today, but I have friends who, who know our guest. All right. Well, let's and, just uh, jump to it. Yeah, let's get, it, let's it's, get into it's Sue it. Sue Hagedorn. Hi, Sue. Hi, Sue. Hey, how are you? <laughs> Good. How's it going? Dandy. All right. We're in the middle of a of a. I don't know what this. No, would it's, be a called. it's a nor'easter. It's a nor'easter. Yeah. Yeah. You should see it at my house. Yeah. Uh, the the <laughs> car was all locked up because of the wind. The wind is blowing at fifty miles an hour. Uh-huh. Um, my key didn't work. Okay. I had to rip the car open, climb <laughs> through the back of the car, over the back seat, into the front seat to get in, and to get over here. In time. Oh. For those of you who are not on Block Island or are not here during the season, oh, yeah. this, holy moly, it's, guys. It's yeah. dusting out there yeah. right now while but we're I mean, recording this. But I mean, still nothing like we haven't experienced before. I mean, it's a, no. it's, it's a good one, but yeah, it's but not. When you when you live on your own, you don't have a spare key. Uh, <laughs> you got to make do. And Do you have video surveillance cameras on the property so we could see this, what you had to go through to get no, in your car? I don't oh, believe man. in video or <laughs> so, video surveillance and particularly surveillance. Yeah, no, no surveillance. No, I was just kidding. I okay. was just kidding. All right. So uh, we usually kick it off with, tell us how you found Block Wet. When and how did you find Block Island? And, you know, where, where, what made you stay? Like, that's kind of our go-to with everyone in the beginning. Well, there was a Harrishoff sloop, and my parents, I went with my father to buy it. We lived on Long Island. The The boat was offered for sale. This is about 1950. Uh, I went with my father up to Connecticut to look at this boat, and it was a beautiful, beautiful, gorgeous sloop. And my father bought it right away. And as he was paying the guy, um, he asked where the name of Tour came from. What was the name of it? Tour. T-O-U-R, Tour? T-O-R. Tour. Why Tour? That's rot spelled backwards. (laughs) (laughs) So... Every summer from then until when my little siblings were born five years later, we would tour around, uh, T-O-U-R, okay. <laughs> uh, Long Island Sound, and come out to Block Island. Oh, really? And then I started coming with my kids. Wow. So you've been uh, vacationing here for a long time. And when you were coming with your kids, was it? It was always a vacation. If, if like- you would call, my daughter would say, if you could find... 
like the scummiest place in town uh, that never had a private bathroom, which is, of course, on Block Island, a new thing. And air conditioning, my God, what yeah, is yeah. that? Um, I wouldn't call it exactly vacationing, but... Uh, so luxury camping in a way. Glamping. And, but you were yeah, like... Yeah, there wasn't much glamping. But I mean, did you do like it. a week or two or did you come for a whole summer's? Never. For, who had a whole summer? I did. What I don't is know. that stuff? A whole summer coming to Block Island. <laughs> who lives like that? I mean... Oh, I know a few people. Seems like they're having a good time. (laughs) Well, um, I wasn't one of those. No, so you just did a week or two. Where were some of the places you remember staying? Are they still standing? Oh, my God. (laughs) What was that place? It just got taken over by the hotel that's taking it all over. Oh, the the Gables? The the Gables. Gables. Yeah, the Gables. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it was still, like you said, all the shared bathroom at the end of the hall. Oh, yeah. yeah. But we had fun. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I guess everybody was of the same mindset. Yeah. So, you know, you knew what you were getting into and they knew what they were getting and into. And so when you would come here sailing with, with your dad and your family, would would it be like just stop over? Would you stay on the boat for the night? Yeah, or? we would stay on the boat. So that would just be like pop in for a night or two and then go to the next place? Or, yeah, or dead-eyed dicks mostly. Okay. Um, you know, and then later when I started bringing my daughter here, we would, you know, we were hippies. Um, we were definitely hippies. <laughs> I was, and my daughter had to go along for the ride. Oh, yeah. Choice. Still um, at an under option, optional age. It's not an option. Yeah. You're doing what I do. Exactly. <laughs> um, so we would walk along and we would run into friends of my, yachting friends of my father and mother. Um, and it was uh, quite a shock. You know, there, there they are and they're top siders. And there I am with my long flowing skirt and uh, hair that I haven't uh, combed for three years. It, it's a bit of a dichotomy. You don't really expect to see hippies on yachts. Well, I was, no, at yeah, this point, though, I was, she was, no, no, she was no. coming I was out, a hippie, staying at the gable. And we would oh, God, come yeah. here only because you, I'm not sure, I even had a car at the time. Uh, we would, my daughter and I would come with our bikes on Amtrak. Uh, we would get off at Providence. The ferry came all the way to Providence, and we would take the ferry from Providence to Newport to Block Island. And we would stay at the Gables. Uh, we would probably eat out of, mostly not go to restaurants, but eat out of the cooler that I brought. Yeah. Um, run into my parents' friends, um, you know, who'd roll their eyes. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> did, and, did, um, did dad ever call you out on that when you'd run? So I heard Dan saw you on Block Island. <laughs> it's like, yeah, right. I saw Dan too. Yeah, 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 you know, right. two what is that? Yeah. Two sheets to a wind. wind. Three sheets to the wind, three I believe. Yes, to the wind. She was like, "Yeah, what of it?" <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Where was uh, so when you when you got to that point and you started doing like the the week or two when you bring your daughter out, take the train up. Were you living in New York? Was that where you were? Oh no, 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 Cambridge and then Watertown in Massachusetts. Okay. Yeah. So there's a lot of, uh, I feel like we skipped over a lot of time. Okay, where do you want to You, you go? were on the boat with your dad, and then all of a sudden you have a daughter that you're taking out here. So how about all the stuff that happened <laughs> between then? So you're from, what part of New York are you from originally? Port we're, Washington. And that's on Long Island? Or? Yeah, it's on Long Island okay, in so North Shore. Grew up on the North Shore of Long Island. Yep. And then you went to school, high school out there, graduated. You went to college somewhere? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where'd you go to school? Ohio Wesleyan. What'd you study? <laughs> Not much. <laughs> How to become a hippie? A yachting? Uh, yeah, pretty how, much. How to be a yachting I mean, hippie? I graduated last in my class. It was a class of, I don't know, 400. And I made a point when I got 
to Wait my senior year is like I am going to disting- distinguish myself somehow, and it was going to be last in my class. Wow! Right, <laughs> you know, you got everyone needs a superlative in their life at one point or another. I guess congratulations. <laughs> at by that the way, point, uh, and it worked. That was about the best thing I could do. Okay, as we go on, I have a podcast, PhD right. Yeah, now. I was going to say, you're going oh, to be blown away that. She was last in her class because I, was. I, I don't even believe it, but I do. I have to. She right, said so it, it must some, be true. So at some point, you quote unquote got your shit together. <laughs> well, decided, it took a like, while. Well, hey, <laughs> join the club. I'm almost 50. I'm still trying to figure it out. But so at some point, you what? Then you go. To make a long story yeah. short. We don't like to do that here, but go ahead. Yeah, now, the summer of love for. 67. Yep, exactly. I graduated from college and found myself. Sort of by mistake in Cambridge, uh-huh. Massachusetts. How many hits of acid does it take to find yourself? <laughs> uh, well, uh, <laughs> well, uh, well, you can skip that. For question. me, it's two. <laughs> anyway, so sorry, um, you know, it was amazing coming from Ohio to Cambridge in June of 1967. Wow. Yeah, exactly. So the music, the folk scene, everything was exploding everything. there. Um, the movies, the uh, Harvard Square, uh, the collective everything that was happening were in there. Cambridge. I, I just, how did I deserve this to just step in? I had no idea what I was stepping into. And to make a long story short, I actually started out, I'm, for most of my life, I was pretty conventional, Susie Hagedorn, I just kind of stay out of trouble. <laughs> Got a job at Harvard as an editor. I'd been an English major. Uh, and, well, I'd uh, stay out of trouble, graduated from college, worked at Harvard, got involved in the anti-war movement, became part of the anti-war movement at Harvard, um, participated in the takeover of University Hall, got fired from Harvard, <laughs> And joined the Weatherman Collective. Wow, you were in the Weatherman? Weather people, yes. Really? I don't know anything about it. What is it? You mean you just, you became a weather person? I became a weather, not like the weather that we're experiencing right now, but that other weather underground. The weather underground world, yeah, collective of radical activists. Remember, there was a war going on, Yeah, and those people who were my age, more or less, grew up in a world where we just thought that America was was great. Uh, We thought that we were all about democracy. We thought we grew up post-war, just everything was getting better and better and better. The 50s, leave it to Beaver, everything's just the American nuclear family right into the early 60s. Into the 60s, yes. Kennedy got killed, yes. Martin Luther King got killed. Things were kind of heading downhill. And the Vietnam War was on television. And the, t- the way I look at it, there was really no, I had no no opportunity to say no to that. I had to, to well, good for fight against it. I mean, how could you at that time ignore what was going on? Well, it's how I felt about it. I think yeah. that's My a parents good way to didn't feel. feel quite the same way. Well, you know, and I think, Oh, gosh, that's a whole road to go down with war and money and what's really behind a lot of things and this this forcing 
our beliefs instead of, you know, I think there's a way to try to convince other nations and peoples to, to see our beliefs and understand them. But I think that we've been a country that just continues to force it and police and control the world. And, you know, we can't even take care of our own country to this day. We still can't take care of all the problems we have here now. No, totally. In our own country. Right now we're watching what's going on in uh, Ukraine. We see, we see it right in front of us the way that we did then to see Vietnam. And it's just, we have a capability now that, I certainly didn't have then of turning away, you know, yeah. finding something else to think. I'd, I'd, talk t- about. I'd, I'd raise you one. I'd say that we not only do we is it easier for everyone to turn away, but it's easier to present news or facts in any form you want them to be. So that who even knows what's real anymore? There are people out there who just will soak in all of this crazy crap. And then they're like, that's it. That's the truth. And it makes absolutely no sense. There's nothing based in fact or reason. That's the scary part. And yeah. talk about crazy making. Um, I, yesterday I was at Stewie Littlefield's uh, memorial service. And Sue Littlefield gave a talk that I think applies to all of us and applies to that about let's talk about things. Let's yeah. just say what's going on and not feel shamed about it, not feel embarrassed or people are not going to agree with us or whatever talk about it yeah yeah and i think and you know to mark's point and boy do we go down a little side road here but to mark's point and now instead of talking we actually we so many not we maybe but so many people only follow what's electronically in front of them tv phone whatever their whatever their sources to watch well, so when the media decides it's time to play down you know okay ukraine's getting boring i, I flat out say i honestly think big media has decided that the war in ukraine's gotten kind of boring so now it gets three minutes a week when it was getting 20 minutes a day. I've said it before on this podcast, watch the movie network. They've Patty Chayefsky. They've figured it all out in 1976 when that movie came out. That was the movie to watch the same thing you're talking about. Yeah. I can't take it anymore. (laughs) Right. You know, but this has been going on. That's, that's what bothers me is that, you know, history, right? Aren't we supposed to learn from it and then look back and be like, Oh, that was a mistake. We shouldn't do that again. But it's like, we as I, I mean, we as a human civilization, it's like, we just, keep making doing the same thing over and over and over and nothing, well don't forget something's the ba- changed the but. bad guys learn too and try to say what did we do wrong and how did we lose that's what i'm yeah <laughs> and exactly. now they try it's it like, again you know it's a, weird thing. it's a it's you know it's one of them but things, anyway the so. six so the 60s so you were in the weather underground i was in the wet in weather man weather stop okay. just short of okay. I don't know who decides who's underground. Yeah. Uh, what does that mean? Well, uh, no. I mean, I disappeared. I didn't have a bank account. Yeah. That was the big thing. Uh, I didn't have a bank account. I didn't have a driver's license. I didn't have an address. Um, I don't know. Untraceable. Uh, you know, are my, we safe right now while we're recording this podcast? My partner, <laughs> who is my daughter's father, was in prison. Um, my younger brother called me and said, who's 10 years younger, and said, I want to run away. Where can I go? Or, no, I have run away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where can I go? So I sent him to a children's collective in Vermont. Um, 
it was as close to being underground yeah. as you can get. And particularly, like if you think about, just imagine, you, we're not talking about a political movement. We're just talking about underground, like moles are underground. Off the or, radar. Off yeah. the radar. Then how do you, how do you go back on the radar? How do you come up? And how do you then go on with your life? I mean, that was 1970, 1971, 1972. How do you, I mean, that was a long time ago. Yeah. Do you just, and the, the revolution was over. That yeah. was the shortest uh, yeah. revolution uh, that we've ever had. Yep. Um, and now what? So well, that's really, how do you get up and so go out? It seems to me as though you figured it out, though. You you did. Thank God. <laughs> did you, uh, so did you take part in like sit-ins and all that stuff? Sit-ins? Yeah. Sit-ins. sit-ins I mocked were, sit-ins. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, JV sit-ins. stuff, rookie stuff. You know, yeah. we're bringing the war home. We're bringing the war home to your mobilization for peace. Forget about it. We're bringing the war home. What would the Vietnamese do right now? Shame on you, liberals. Wow. How many times did you get arrested? Oh, a lot. <laughs> a lot. Wow. Oh, and then oh. Jerry Abbott. <laughs> and Jerry and Jerry Abbott, who has been involved on Block Island and on the board of the Historical Society, and I, a couple of years ago, went to the bar at the Charles Street Jail in Boston. Um, and there we oh, are. Oh, the, I'm like, oh, yeah. oh, up there. I was in that cell. Oh, uh, <laughs> that one over there. Wait, the one that's the hotel now? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I've stayed there a few times. You, you did a little Oh, little I, I stayed there, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I stayed there, too. <laughs> Good times. Wow. Good times. <laughs> How was the room service back in those days? Uh, it was a pretty, um, they were really careful about you. They kept a good eye on you yeah oh, they wow. treat you good oh yeah oh that's good did you ever meet yeah. abby hoffman uh no no all right wow all right oh. so but so you so what happened you obviously your political leanings didn't change but you just got out of the ex, exactly. you know more extreme sector I or had, it just ended it i just didn't kind of, have a bank account it. yeah i didn't have a place to live <laughs> okay i wasn't talking to my parents yeah. um you know my parents i had been arrested for uh, robbing their house uh, when they were in the Caribbean. <laughs> Oopsie! Wait, what? <laughs> Hold on. Yeah, a that was a crate. That was a um, what, an edict from the Weather Bureau. Rob your the, parents? Yeah. <laughs> What'd you that take? That was it. Rob, rob your parents. What'd you take? Uh, well, I had all the silver lined up, the furs, I had everything lined up, and then it turned out that the housekeeper um, had just been in the bathroom when we broke through the window. <laughs> Susan, is that you? I've called the police. I'm like, oh. Oh, no, just stopping back to get a few things. Oh, oh so wow. anyway, so I was on bad terms with my parents. Okay. Let's put it that way. All right. Did, um, did that ever change? Did you guys reconcile? I made a film about my father. Well, yeah. Um, when we get down a little later, we're going to talk about some documentary work. And yeah, I noticed. Yeah, that. I and mean, I, yeah. I I was the um, executor of his will. Well, there you um, go. He Full and recovery. I became super super close. Oh, that's great. Um, and did he in the end? respect to me i think he did i mean and i did apologize um a hundred times for one robbing their house and two <laughs> uh guiding their 14 year old son 
uh, to Vermont to Red Paint, a children's collective, and he was gone for three years Wow! Uh, from the time he was 14, and I wouldn't say where he was. Oh, my God. So, wow. a thousand apologies I mean, yeah. That. Yeah, but what a spectacular spectrum of achievements you've been through to to you know, from starting with graduating last in your class, working at Harvard, <laughs> going arrested, underground, spending some time in your, jail, spending some time in jail, trying to rob the parents, and then yeah. and then you know coming back in and making it all and becoming you know, a nurse. Well, so there we That's go. That's how so, I became a nurse. So, I mean, so how do you come out of the underground? How did you? how did you? <laughs> well, um, you know, it's all about applying your politics. Okay. You know, I wasn't going to become an it's a real good thing, an accountant or something like that. I wasn't going to go back to being an editor. Um, I did work in the Cambridge school system. That was kind of a disaster um, for a while. As a teacher? Well, as a substitute teacher Sub, yeah. and for the bilingual education okay. um, department. Um, so I had always wanted to be a nurse. Uh, when I first started college, I was in a baccalaureate nursing program, but it seemed really silly at the time, despite, despite the fact that I always wanted to be a nurse. Um, so I thought, well, you know, I can do social justice. I can be licensed to do social justice. So I got into a program at UMass Amherst and you know, sort of the next phase started. Ah, I went to UMass Amherst as well. Woohoo, go Minutemen. Go Minutemen. I was class of 96, probably a little before your time. Yeah, right. 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 Um, so what did you, so is that where you got your PhD at UMass? No, my God, that was another bachelor's degree another in nursing. Bachelor's. Okay, so that's where you get the nursing. So yeah, and that was about paying your dues. You know, there were even... Uh, programs even at that time where you could go straight to getting a master's. Yeah. Yeah. Um, from being last in your class, if you'd done something interesting <laughs> in between. <laughs> Sounds like you did a couple interesting things. Yeah, well, yeah. so, but it was going to get another bachelor's and then working as a staff nurse uh, at Children's Hospital in Boston um, and working in the emergency room at Cambridge Hospital and then figuring out the next step. Gotcha. And so you were never, obviously, uh, you never squeamish about blood or any of that stuff didn't bother you? I am so glad you asked that question. I hate blood. Okay. I have never dealt with blood. For any of you out there who are thinking that you might want to be a nurse, but oh my goodness, I am squeamish about blood. I never touched blood. Blood and me, uh-uh, we don't go together. My one staff nurse job was on the, get this, the psychosomatic unit uh, at Children's Hospital. Psychosomatic. Psychosomatic. Which means like you think you have an More or less. Okay. Or you're sick because of what you're thinking. Yeah. Um, or you're sick and not taking care of yourself uh, because of what's going on emotionally. Wow. Um, and kids at that time stayed a long time on that unit. And um, it was a perfect job for me. Sorry, what years was this? That was 77 to... 77 to 79. Okay. So, year. Sorry, go ahead. I'm going to give my research geek side a little shot here. I heard that you've been commended for your outside the box thinking and your creativity. And I heard that you started the, like, the photo therapy, like, 
helping the kids work with photography. How do you find that out. I know. I I I find some stuff. Some oh, I find good Rich stuff. Rich is the research guy. So yeah, so I heard that you said, "Why don't we try this? Let's try working with photographs and these kids." And you like were groundbreaking on that sort of a thing, and it well, went well. Well, here's the thing: wherever you find yourself, this is how I feel about things. Wherever you find yourself, you might as well find a way to do it in a creative way. So here, you know, being a staff nurse is, uh, it's a hard thing. You know, you have six layers of bosses. You are a new graduate. They assume that you know nothing. Uh, you, you know, you're in a very conventional system, in a hospital system. Uh, so I've, you know, and working in nursing, frankly, is a pretty conventional uh, uh, discipline. So the way that I have succeeded as a nurse in that job was combining things that I was actually good at, you know, and one of those things was not following rules, uh, <laughs> which you would think that would make me sort of a no win in nursing. That's 30 milligrams, 40 milligrams. What's the difference? Uh, <laughs> we're not talking about that. Okay. Um, one for you, one for me. No, no, we're not Just talking kidding. about that. Just but I'll, yeah. Uh, we're silly. We're, we, we are yeah, silly. Yeah, we're totally yeah, silly. We but so you were like basically one of the, for, I mean, art therapy, I think it's a pretty well known thing that happens these days, you know, using art and painting and that kind of thing to jog or, you know, stabilize emotional turmoil. But you it, were one of the kind of maybe one of the first ones to think of it that way. Well, I'll tell you the, the probably more important. Well, I, you know, I once had my palm red. I didn't ask for it to be red, but I'm up in uh, Marblehead and we had created the some parents of kids the same age as my daughter, Hope, who at that time was Hopi, H-O-P-I. Um, we got together and we rented this big old house and we put up curtains when the welfare department would come and assess whether we deserve the AFDC that we were all on at the time. So this is like 1972. And so here we are, this complete retro, what's that word? Retro bait? Retro? Retro. Like bums. uh, Bums living in this big mansion. Um, And we went downtown um, and we're in this bar with the kids, of course. Sure, of course. And of course, <laughs> 1972 babies they were, um, three of them. And uh, this guy sort of sidles up to me and says, "You want me to read your palm?" You know, I'm always <laughs> looking for guidance, particularly at that time. <laughs> sure, <laughs> you know, sock it to me. So uh, he reads my palm, and he reads these lifelines. And there are, so it starts off all together, that sort of Susie Hagedorn, not getting in trouble, kind of staying in the background, to these two lifelines. One was a very creative one, writing, I assume, making films, being creative. The other one w- was uh, very practical, having a very practical job that I could earn a living doing. And they don't really come together till the end, according to this palm reading. 
And I think that that's kind of what's guided me. I mean, whoever his name was, dear God, um, who sort of <laughs> saw that in my palm. But it's true. There's the very creative side, and then there's the very practical yeah. side. And it, the, practical, the practical side isn't even just being a nurse. But, I mean, I will... Like as an academic, I was on the curriculum committee and the curriculum committee, most people find incredibly boring. I mean, it is so prosaic. You're basically trying to take an idea and just string it through all the steps from, you know, what is your primary goal to teach students about ethics to how is it going to look in every course, depending on whether it's pathophysiology or it's, um, um, you know, theor nursing theory to practice in nursing? And then how are you going to put it in every course? How are you going to measure it? And how's it going to come out the other side? I love that way of looking at things. So... What wow. was the question? I don't know. Who, who cares? That's the practical side. Yeah, yeah. So Let, I needed that practical side to open a bank account, for God's sakes. I yeah. couldn't write a check. I couldn't rent an apartment. Um, yes. So yeah, yeah. I went it, to UMass and, and then, got that done. Then what was your next goal in education? Did, when did you get your PhD and what's it in? Oh, there was first a master's. Um, where there I am. Then I went to Cambridge Hospital and I worked as a psych nurse in the emergency room. Woohoo! <laughs> wow, uh, yeah. Really, really interesting. And and talking to the practical part, I got to be a really, really good diagnostician. I mean, I could and I still can sort of look at you, Mark. Yes. Read yes. Do your re read your energy fields. <laughs> Tell look me. into your eyes. <laughs> What's happening? Listen to your voice <laughs> and be able to do do a really quick systematic diagnosis. I'm terrified. I know. Oh, me too. <laughs> don't worry, buddy. Don't worry, buddy. You're fine. Now, You're fine. <laughs> Do you ever see the old Robin Williams skit where he goes like this with his head and he goes, come on in. And he like opens the top of his head. In. Well, that's what, you know, that's yeah. what you did in the emergency room yeah. as a psych nurse. And these are, you know, as quickly yeah. as you could. Yeah. And, these and are, basically yeah. you got the people where at children's hospital, the patients stayed there forever, and yeah. frankly, they never got better. Well, actually, it's the same thing for who, mostly, who came into the emergency room in psych. Yeah. Many of them never got better, but you could do a disposition, figuring out where they were going to go, cure them right then and there, move them to the next step, you know, and like a waitress, next? Yeah. Um, Which is so crazy because do. we know so much more about mental health than we used to back then. I mean, it's slowly becoming destigmatized, I like to think. But I mean, back in the day, if you were just, if you had mental health issues, you were just crazy. Oh, I, you know, I might disagree with you. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, you that. know, yeah. because I mean, that's how I thought it was. I don't know. Uh, now we, we use pharmaceutics. Yeah. We treat everything if we have a little bit of feeling that someone has something we're like let's try such and such yeah and let's see how it works yeah and then oftentimes there we're dealing with the side effects oh I, we've got a new med that we can treat you for the side effects and we at that time we had very very few and they were terrible then 
maybe worse then than they are now. We had very few meds yeah. that we used. I mean, at Children's Hospital, the only med we used on the psych unit was Benadryl. Benadryl? Benadryl. What does that do for psychiatric issues? Uh, you know, it puts kids to sleep. Yeah, it oh. just makes you tired. <laughs> gotcha. It was like Slows a safe, them down. safe sedative. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Wow. Yep. It's uh, yeah. It's an interesting uh thing to me. I don't know. Wow. I I would have assumed that like things have progressed, but you're saying no. Oh, so I much. think it's worse. Really? Just because they're looking <laughs> for a quick wor- fix with with pills. And it's worse. There well, are there is no care. I mean, I don't want to get into the whole yeah, history. Yeah, yeah. We don't have to go down. Uh, well, and it, you and know, but there is no place to get care now. Yeah, and it, um, and, and it's across the board. It's not just mental health, but you know. I think a lot is now driven by pharmaceuticals and the goal mm-hmm. is to it's about money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, but the goal is it's more like a quick fix, but it's not a fix. Right, it's, it's, it's a temp. It's a patch. It's, duct tape, it's like yeah. trying to keep you permanently patched instead of saying, okay, yeah. let's pull the patch off and get to work on making you better. Right. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of it. I, you know, the real fix for me and my blood sugar and, you know, it would be exercise and eating right. And, but, Eh, just pull out the pad and write me a metformin prescription and yeah. i'm like oh okay you know yeah. oh i can do that instead of not eating pizza yeah huh i'll do yeah. it you know but it's even bigger than that you know that same world of vietnam it's like oh my god i've got to do something to this world of the ukraine and what's going on in this country and on and on and on it's kind of the context you know if we could just fix the context a little bit make our world a little kinder um it might be an answer for a good bit of what we're feeling again sue littlefield talking about stewie and talking about her experience it's like we're all in it together i think accepting other people's as long as it's not, it's not malicious accepting other people's ways and their thoughts is and respecting them for it is big there's so many people that just seem to get angry just because you're not like them or you don't have the like thinking and it's not even it doesn't have to be a fight but it's like i often say if we could take every group that exists right now that stands up and fights against something and let's just bring them all into this corner and fight hunger yeah we would we would fix it and then let's move the whole group. But instead, we're so divided up, and there are all these little things that we all, you know, and then different battles with each other, and it's just. Well, it's did anybody little... notice how quickly a vaccine for for the COVID virus uh, appeared? You know, two. I mean, vaccines less than a year. Yeah, vaccines supposedly take seven, eight, ten, twelve years to develop and get them right. But when something's affecting the entire world like that it's pretty amazing when the scientific community got together and they were like all hands on deck on this one we got to figure this one out they did they figured it out in a year and a half yeah and then we undid it right by turning it into i believe in it i don't believe yeah in yeah, it. yeah yeah i exactly. believe in science i don't believe in science yeah well, you know, you're purple, I'm yellow. That's what we were talking about earlier, though, with creating your own realities and the what, what what's out there, like in the metaverse, basically, you know, coming moving forward, human beings are going to be able to through their online or whatever their, you know, experiences in the interwebs world, you're going to be able to create whatever reality you want around you. Whereas, you know, the only thing that gets to you through your social media channels or whatever is is the stuff that 
you have chosen to see, and and so your world is going to become smaller, smaller, and smaller. smaller. And Meanwhile, oh, they know what so you're watching, and oh, they, they know keep everything, you more and they know what to sell yeah. you. Did you ever notice, like again, when you're just we're talking about things, and then two minutes later, like it pops up, like a uh, oh, um, you know, I'm thinking maybe I should get a new toaster, and then all of a sudden your Facebook feed, it's like oh, toasters on sale. Oh, that yeah. explains something that happened totally. yesterday, but yes. I can't talk anyway, about it on the show. Um, hey, you know what? Speak, should we? Yeah, yeah, I was just gonna say the reality. We're gonna take. Take a quick break for a minute and listen to our sponsors, and we'll be right back with a more conversation with Sue. Whoa, whoa, what happened? What was that? Ah, oh, dude, I just ripped my favorite pair of jams. I've been wearing these things since 1987. Eh, don't panic. Just go on down and see Liz at the Traveling Seamstress. Oh, yeah, I forgot Liz is here on the island. She repairs zippers. Yeah, she can do buttons. She can patch your men, most fabrics. You know what? She even can repair denim, so your favorite jeans can still be your favorite jeans. That's nice. You know what else? If you're getting married, say yes to the dress because she'll do last-minute alterations, steam and press tuxedo or your suit. She pretty much can help you out with anything to do with your wedding. Yeah. You know what I just remembered? She also makes curtains and draperies. She can do custom dye work. Uh, she can even make cushions for your home or your boat. She is magic with the machine, let me tell you, because she does slip covers too. And uh, no word of a lie, she did a set for my friend, and it's like walking into a different room with brand new furniture i actually flew a pair of pants over to her from the mainland over the winter to get taken up and she did that too and i didn't have to go to her place at 442 dodge street by the four corners yep and she keeps regular hours uh, may through november you know limited wintertime hours but you could still reach her you sure know. and no projects too big or too weird well, hey, you can follow her on Instagram at Traveling Seamstress. Or you check out her website at TravelingSeamstress.com. Hey, Rich, I feel like I need some exercise. Let's go run the Block Island Triathlon. Um, I'm more into low impact. How about a gentle paddle? Oh, sure. Well, we could go explore the Great Salt Pond on a kayak or paddleboard from Ford Island Kayaks. Yeah, they and you know they have the Hobie pedal boards, too. You ever try one of those out? It's like a bike on water. I've heard about that. They've also got the Peekaboo Glass Bottom Kayak. Yeah, and you can rent all their stuff by the hour, or half day, full day, or even a whole week. If you're going to stay for a week, you can reserve a, a kayak for a week. Yeah, but you know what? You might want to make a reservation if your group is six or more. That's a hot tip for you. Well, that's a good tip. I like it. So uh, basically, you go explore the Great Salt Pond. It's got hidden coves. There's the oyster farms out there, the marinas. Andy's Way is great, you know? Yeah, it's super cool. And it's operated by, and it's located adjacent to our friends at the BI Fishworks place. Oh, nice. All right. Well, you can hear everything we just talked about and more if you go to the BIFishworks.com or you can give them a call at 401 466 53 Nine two. You know what my favorite thing to do on a paddleboard is? What's that? I like to bring a sandwich with me and paddle out to Andy's way and just kind of camp out there and eat my sandwich. It's like finding your own private spot. I just try to not get sand in my sandwich. Well, better in your sandwich than your shorts. That's my motto. Yeah, good point. Hey, Mark, you want to go grab a bite? Yeah, I'm starving. All right, where should we go? Uh, well, I kind of want to go somewhere where I can look at the ocean while I eat. So uh, how about the beachhead? Ah, uh, sounds good to me. They're right across the ocean. Yeah, so, yeah. right on Crescent Beach. Great local hangout, you know? And you know what I love about the beachhead is it forever. Remember, it was always the local hangout spot. Yeah, and if you don't want to sit outside overlooking the water, it's great people watching from the bar. You get to watch all the cars and bikes going by. Totally, because the bar is right there, and in the big windows, you're looking out right onto the beach. It's yeah, amazing. just sit there, drink one of their 
famous mudslides or a signature Bloody Mary. I mean, they got so many good drinks. So many good drinks. Oh, and you know what else is great? Is that they serve fresh, locally caught fish, and they have fantastic lobster rolls. Yeah, hot or cold. Which one do you like? Oh, one of each. Yeah, me you know, too. I'm that's down. That's the answer to that. But wait, maybe we should wait until 3 o'clock. All right. Because they do buck shuck every Monday through Friday from 3 to 4, and it's a dollar oysters. Well, I'm down for that, so... You know, what if we get a whole bunch of people want to come with us? Hey, no problem. They got lots of space and they have a special events area in the back. It's reserved for weddings, rehearsal dinners, uh, anniversary parties, whatever. Well, it's settled then. I'm ready to go to the Beachhead. How about you? Yeah. Check out their website at beachheadbi.com. Hey, Rich, do these bell bottoms make me look fat? Bell bottom? Oh, wait. It must be Monday and you're going to disco night at Captain Nick's. Well, yeah, of course I'm going to disco night at Captain Nick's. I'm the DJ, man. I got to be there. (laughs) That place is so much fun. So much fun. And the fun doesn't end after Monday because on Tuesday and Wednesdays, we have dueling pianos followed by Dr. Wes Chesterson's sloppy seconds. What are sloppy seconds? Well, that's when I play the piano for the rest of the drunk people there at the end of the night. That sounds fun in itself. And Thursdays, they've got live acoustic acts and full bands and DJs. Yeah. And Friday and Saturday afternoons, we have acoustic acts on the deck at 530. Uh, Fridays are Delaney, and then Saturdays are Buddy Rob Davis. And then Friday and Saturday nights, they've got the best live bands on Block Island, like Derek and the Fun Bags, The Blushing Brides, Fever, Neil and the Vipers, West End Blend, and the High and Mighty Brass Band, just to name a few. Yeah, and uh, the bands aren't over just because Friday and Saturday night ends. On Sunday afternoons, the Young Guns take the stage on the deck at 530. Sunday fun day, and what if you're hungry? They got food. Food, right? Yeah, for sure. All right. So they've serving food out of the Captain Galley seven days a week, including some late night grub. So, you know, if you're hungry, stop in late night and grab a bite. Yeah. And if you want to check out the full entertainment schedule, let's just head over to CaptainNicksBI.com. Okay. Hey, thanks for uh, listening to our sponsors. And thank you, sponsors, for uh, helping us keep the podcast going. We are back with some more conversation with uh, Sue Hagedorn. I'm having a great time. I'm not me. I'm, I'm, this is terrible. <laughs> oh it's awful. No fun at all. So can we jump a little to, so now you've, you, you, then you, did you become, a, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I do want to get to your um, documentaries that you've made and stuff. But then you became, did you, you started to do some teaching from what I hear. Did you, so you taught all kinds of different stuff. Uh, you became a nurse practitioner and when did you, how and when did you start teaching and what did you teach? I taught nursing and I also taught in the, uh, graduate program for public affairs at the University of Colorado. I also, before that, taught at Simmons in Boston. Um, Mind you, last in her class <laughs> right her first college yes on to this just it's, goes to show you it does things you can know, turn you around do what you want to do that's right uh, that's but right. you don't you but you stay out of trouble in the end you you only go so far into so much trouble you can skirt trouble exactly that you can back out of <laughs> and, it and, and get the trouble out of the way while you're young you know yeah. like in your uh, late teens early well you know i mean no, the, the I, arrestable kind of trouble i think right maybe no uh, whatever. Um, Sorry, go ahead. Let me You're see. The Am I in trouble? No. I have been, I have been making <laughs> recently. Wait, there's a van pulling up with three guys in masks getting out of it as we're recording. Why is there a black helicopter hovering over Captain Nick's? So, now we're skipping over a bunch of things, but recently, for the past couple of years, I've been doing a film about racism in nursing. Really? So that's a bit of making trouble. Okay. L- interviewing nurses, we interviewed over 40 nurses uh, who, nurses of color, telling us about 
their experience with race as a nurse. And because nursing is one of those professions that doesn't really like to think about racism, doesn't really, uh, you know, because we're such a noble profession, we go ahead, we do our job, we are oftentimes in emergencies, and we don't, particularly the white nurses, we oftentimes don't realize where we're making trouble um, and why are we're, where we're not really appreciating people's culture and race. And nurses of color are experiencing incredible, uh, incredibly discouraging um, ex- things in nursing, in nursing school. Um, so, you know, I intend to keep making trouble. That is my well, my life work. And by making trouble, you you and I I do want to go into some of this stuff, but you shed light on things, uh, and that's not necessarily making trouble. You know, it's it the one who considers you shedding light on that subject trouble. They're the problem. You know what I mean? Like it's good that I think you shed light on these things with your work. And when did you? When no, did you? No, no. Let me let me add one more thing here. You um, add anything you want. You, you, yeah. you take it. I was scared about this interview. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I made a film called Deputized. Um, in two, like we finished it in 2012. My daughter Hope Reeves was part of that, um, and it was about a murder on Long Island, a hate crime on Long Island, where uh, in a town, Patchogue in Suffolk County, where there was a long history that nobody really wanted to look at of Latinos, particularly ones that looked like they might be undocumented, uh, being battered and beat up and, in the this case, uh, murdered. Um, so, you know, it, was, it would have been a really easy film to make had I, had we, told the story of here are these horrible boys who did this vicious thing and murdered this Ecuadorian man and this town is evil and they have been um, promoting racism uh, for many years and used to be home to the KKK. That would have been an easy story to tell. But how we told the story was from both perspectives, from everybody losing. So the families of those kids um, who were in jail and one kid who is still in prison, this is 15 years later uh, from when the murder happened, um, from their perspectives and from the mayors of the town's uh, experience from the emergency squad that didn't show up when uh, Marcelo Lucero was stabbed and bleeding to death in the downtown of Patchogue to um, Jose Lucero, the brother um, of the guy, to his mother, to the Latino community. And we made it a very complicated story because, and we did not, in no film do I ever try to tell people what to think. That's not my role. The role of a documentarian or who I am. Yeah, I was going to say that's not true of all documentarians. I know. But yeah. I, you know, they don't, nobody needs someone to tell them what to think. Uh, we need to just lay out the different perspectives and let people 
work their minds and work their hearts and figure out what they think and how it applies to them and how they're going to go forward. So whatever that is the answer to. Brilliant. I'm sorry, what, what year did that one come out? It came out in, I don't know, 2013, but the murder happened in 2009 right. and we started it then. I mean, these films, that film took five years to make. Are these available f- to view anywhere are they, they on are. any streaming platforms or how, yeah, where can we I find a, them i have oy, 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 don't ask me this is why i didn't become an accountant yeah we can follow it up yeah, I can we'll follow it up, up on social just media. in yeah, case yeah. our listeners may want to i want to provide I mean, it absolutely yeah, would like to yeah. let them know where to hear it what when did you do your first documentary uh, you know besides well, what you know well whatever what do you consider your first documentary was it uh you commented earlier about doing a, a story about your your dad i did that was really the one um i had a sabbatical uh at the university of colorado and um you know i was at the point in my career when i had been doing nursing for maybe 40 years uh i was good at it um i had been teaching for maybe 20 years um i was good at it and it all felt pretty comfortable and i guess that when i start feeling comfortable i start thinking hmm what's next yep. you know how am i going to make myself a little uncomfortable there must be something else so i went to nyu to film school and i had to do a project and um i needed access to a subject and that would be my father you know he had a a real had well had and has a really interesting story so so what i sort of sucked him in but what came out of it was sitting there on his porch every day interviewing him with a camera and with a notepad and spending a month interviewing him and asking him things sort of like what you guys are doing, stuff I knew very little about, you know, because guys of that era, you know, who, you know, were born in the teens, the 19 teens and came of age in the early, you know, in the 30s and the 40s, um, they didn't really talk about themselves very much, although I knew my father had such a huge ego that that was the way to win his heart. She's like, I say, got the right subject. Really? Did he love to talk? And did I learn a lot? And did we get close? So the film, I, you know, I, I don't love the film. And what's but, the name of the film? Oh, Mr. Miracle Grow. Mr. Miracle Grow. Um, Meet not Mr. Miracle Meet Grow. Meet Mr. Miracle Grow. Not my title and really not my subject. But he was a guy who was sort of typical of his era, you know, an entrepreneur, believed he could do anything and sort of had the chutzpah to do it. I mean, in, in fact, I sort of feel like, you know, a you chip off say. the... Yeah, I would <laughs> say. I mean, don't be afraid to say it. What was your dad's name? Horace Hagedorn. Horace Hagedorn. Horace Hagedorn. And uh, he just believed that he could do anything. And not that he didn't fail. Not that I haven't failed. um, But he just kept going. You know, whatever. What did he do? 
Oh, we don't want to really. Okay, we're just going to go a little bit. He started Miracle Grow. He was an advertising guy. Oh, okay. Um, and so I grew up kind of in the a madman, madman really? family. Wow. On Long Island, he had an advertising agency, and I'm fascinated by that. You stuff. know, I was Susie um, in Mad Men, and uh, you know, it was a pretty dysfunctional family, and you know, it was the fifties. Yeah. You know, woohoo. You know, we had a hair shot sloop and we came to Block Island. Wow. And then you went underground. <laughs> <laughs> so that was uh, your, so, and, so then you got your degree in film from NYU. Yeah. Then yeah. I went to the new school and studied documentary film. Okay. And uh, started making films about nursing. Well, that's what I know. You use it a you, You're a bit of a, you, you love to shed light on these things, and I think it's great. I mean, you're an advocate. You're a philanthropist for and in your own way, and I think that's pretty cool. I mean, you did one. All right, so now let's get – here we come back to Block On a little bit. Let's start with the – you did – you did you co-produce or produce the um, Mary D documentary film? Oh, I did. I did it all. You see okay, that camera work? I, yeah. That's me. Oh, you really? You the, filmed all, uh, all that footage? Not all of it, but a lot yeah. of it. Um, do you remember that scene with Mary hanging her laundry? Yes, in the uh, backyard. Oh, do we love that scene? Yeah. I just saw the film two weeks ago at the Block Island Film Festival. Yeah, we, we pumped it up on our podcast. Yeah. It well, to... thank you. Yeah. Uh, I love that film. And I, I do too. love how intimate it is. And if I were to say, if I had a style, that's the style of all of my films, particularly the nursing films. Intimate was a is a great word because that's you really. So the documentary, I don't know if you've seen it, Mark. She she actually follows with the camera into. Uh, Mary visiting patients, and whether it's the the elderly woman who's, you know worried about the blood pressure or captain w is in there he's one and it was just and basically mary said sometimes people just need the nurse to stop by to talk you yeah. know and again we're dealing with it, it you know senior citizens have mental health issues as well from getting older and, everything. and what did w say well 85 now but feel the same as when i was 40 <laughs> you know like <laughs> but you could just see like his joy and lighting up and being yeah. seen but it's a very the 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 footage is very intimate. You're in people's homes. I think someone else may have been sick with something and um, maybe a cancer that they were trying to getting treatment for and recover. So it was very intimate shots in people's homes with all yeah. the, but all the varying things from just a practical uh, nurse um, objective to Mary, you know, knew well that these people just, I, they like when I stop by and talk. And so yeah. it was, it's a really good film. And what, oh, what, what is the actual name of it? I forget. Island nurse. Island nurse. Island nurse. You know, and, and to spend time with Mary, um, and that was the first film I made on Block Island, and I approached her and said, oh, I hear that you do all this great work. I'm a nurse, too, which is oftentimes my in to make, you know, like, how could I make a film about Mr. Miracle Grow? Because he was my father. Right, how right. can I make films about nurses? Because I'm a nurse. Yeah. And there is, you know, one barrier is down. Not to say that people don't look at me, you know, are you, 
uh, can I trust you? Which definitely my father must have thought that. I get but, that a lot when I'm trying to get people to come on the podcast. <laughs> like, well, it's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is yeah. true. It is true. But um, but with Mary, um, I'm a nurse. You're a nurse. I was thinking, Mary, maybe we would call it St. Mary. Well, that was the end of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> she would then. not return my yeah. calls for six months. Wow. Uh, that was... You know, that taught me a lot about who Mary Donnelly was. Yes, yes. And so then I came back. Then I made a a film in, I was going to make that uh, as my project film in the new school. And instead, I followed two other home health nurses who worked for the city of New York. Uh, One who was a Haitian American whose practice was in Manhattan, in upper Manhattan, and a African American nurse whose uh, practice was in the Bronx. And I just followed them as they went into people's homes. Mostly because, one, I want to show what nurses do, but two, don't you always wonder what it's like in other people's houses, in their homes? Sometimes. What do they care about? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, what you do find out is there's such a diverse – we tend to get numb and think that, like, everyone else is just like us. Oh, everybody does this. But then, you're, you know, it's just inside someone's home, the intimate place – you see just the little things can be different, but they're, everybody's different in how they think and process and what they do on a day-to-day basis. And everybody is the same. Exactly. That's more yeah. or less yeah. what... Yep. That's more or less my job, to sort of show what it's like and pretty much every home I've been in and every emergency room I filled, filmed in, every labor and delivery suite, every... OR, every, uh, where else have I been? Um, everything in nursing, pretty much everybody is the same. They're afraid. They want to be in their home. They don't want to be out in the world and naked and exposed and vulnerable. Everybody wants to be home. Yeah. Wow, it's an interesting take. It is. And it's weird because you don't really, I mean, if you aren't in the medical profession and you're just like an average Joe, usually the only time you start to figure that out is when you have to go into this setting. Like for me, it was, you know, when my, my parents were getting older and my dad started having health issues, you know. I'd have to go in and, and it's like, yeah, you, you see your people, how they react to being in this strange place and and everyone was super nice. Like, but at the same time, my dad, he's just like, I just want to go home. I just want to go home. I just want to go home. I'm like, yeah, but dad, like, the nurses are great. Everyone's really, the doctor's really nice. The food's not bad. Like what's, but you know, you, it's just, yes. And, and, but I didn't really get it until I, I saw it, but yes, you know, it's like to be able to make people comfortable uh, in that weird environment where they're getting older and they don't know what's happening to them and they're scared. It's, it's a gift. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a talent, you know, it's, I guess something that can be learned, but also it probably helps if you have that innate desire to, to do that, I think. Or a way to sort of let go of, well, maintain your skill because always the only reason we're allowed right. in people's houses or in ORs or in emergency rooms is because we have a skill, Yeah. Um, which is thank goodness for that for me that uh, I never forgot that. Um, 
But the other part of it is to sort of pull the curtain that we have, that we close ourselves in with, pull it aside a little bit so that we become sort of with whoever it is that we're with, um, the patients. I mean, it's, you know, my specialty in nursing was taking care of adolescents. And for me, it really worked. For a lot of people in nursing say, oh, my God, I would never work with adolescents. (laughs) And, you know, and I have two specialties, pediatrics and women's health care. Oh, my God, those are the two things I would (laughs) never do. Um, But, you know, I'm okay with not being perfect. I'm okay with kind of going along, sort of like you are, kind of just going along with the story and and assessing as I go and not trying to lay my ideas on anybody else. I think the concept of perfection is a really slippery slope, you know? You Nothing's know, perfect. There's no such thing as anything that's perfect. It one doesn't of, exist. One thing I love to do out here is when a younger person, especially, makes a big mistake. Um, I won't kick the any, shit out of them. No, not the first time. Um, <laughs> I'll call them and say, "Listen, I'm I'm 25 years older than you, but let me tell you what I did." And and you know, suddenly they'll and then maybe if they want to, I don't want to, but if they want to talk about it, they can. Now all of a sudden, like you said, I I pulled back my veil. You didn't notice about me because I did this before you were born, but. Let me tell you where I screwed up and how bad it was. And I said, it's going to be all right. And look where I am now. And and I'm okay with it. You know, it took me a while to be okay with getting, you know, whether something you do, you feel stupid for a week or a month or years later, you might look back or whatever it is. But I've, I've done that a few times. And I think that uh, it's just something I like to do is Uh like, why, why let them suffer thinking they're the only one that could possibly be stupid enough to do this? I mean, let go as simple as a, you know, crashing your car, drinking and driving or something like that. They feel like it's the end of the world, and you got to explain them. It's not. Presidents have done this, and it's easy. <laughs> to, know, it's like, easy yeah. to forget when you when you yeah. get to our age too. Like I remember having that feeling back then of oh, screwing yeah, yeah. up and being like, "Oh my it's god, never going to get it. better. This is it. It's over. My life is over." And like you know, you but you can't. All you can do, like you said, is give that. You know, yep, be like, hey, I don't, I don't connect me. with yeah. them. Let them know yeah. it's going to be okay. Because in that moment, kids are their brains are just freaking, freaking out. You know, I think the world would be a better place if we, to quote Sue, if everybody once in a while pulled back their veil. Yeah, you know? I think it would be That's a better a good place way to put it. instead of walking around like you're like you're perfect. And we all know you've got dark secrets in there, and they're not dark, but you you know everybody's got them. Just let them out, and yeah. other people maybe everyone would yeah. feel like, oh, okay, or I'm things not, you know. that you think are so weird about you that no one else would understand, but then you find out everybody's weird. By the yeah. way, speaking of weird, you know, I just had a weird thought. You know what we should do? Sue? <laughs> I think we should have Sue come work the door at Captain Nick's. Oh Sunday my gosh, on a Friday, you'd be a great the bouncer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah, yeah. Check ideas. Yeah. You'd be awesome. You the would, enforcer we like have, you said well, you, we'll do the enforcement we just need you to be the uh how you read them in like yeah, one yeah. minute by the way they talk in their eyes yeah it's honestly what i do when i i was asked you know to to talk a little bit about because i did it with mark for seven years and they had a new crew and i said i gotta be honest with you 90 percent of the fake ids i catch are because i'm reading how the person's acting and t- looking at me and talking, body language body language and you really can size up a lot you can know before someone finishes crossing the street whether you shouldn't let them in because they're going to be a problem later that night. Yeah. You can tell just so from the much. way they're walking. But Sue would be awesome at it. Like, <laughs> just right. that, we have <laughs> little hand signals. Like, I'll nah. put my nursing cap <laughs> on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
stethoscope well, we, around we got, my neck. We got one guy with a te- cowboy hat. I'll wear my cheetah cap, and you can wear your nurse's yeah. hat. It'd yeah. be a great posse at the door. It'd be amazing. It's a good one. All right, that was just just a just a suggestion. Just if, if you got you know a free night or two next summer, we'll, we'll get you on the schedule. So, tell us about. May I ask about this documentary? It's called. The Barrigans, Devout and Dangerous. Mm, love that film. Okay. Love that film. How did film. that come to be? And does that have to do with Block Island a little bit? Well, we, uh, we had, well, what preceded that film was a, a film called, God, I named this film myself after listening to a Dylan song, um, Seeking Shelter. That was before that. That was before that. Okay. Seeking Shelter was a film I started at the Historical Society. When I read the name of that documentary, I thought of Bob Dylan. It's so funny that the name is so Dylan-esque. Shelter, oh, from, shelter, the storm. From, the shelter from the Storm. Shelter from the Storm. There I, I was. It's so funny. That's the first thing I thought of when I read the name of it. So. There I was um, on my way to a writing workshop out at Kripalu, and I'm on the Mass Pike. It's the middle of the summer. You know how that feels. The windows open. You know, you've got some great Massachusetts radio station blasting. Rock you know, it's August. Uh, it's, everything smells good and it's green. And there comes Seeking Shelter or Shelter from the Storm yeah. from my favorite Dylan album, Blood on the Tracks. Uh, comes on, I'm like, that's what this is about. That's what this film is about, seeking shelter or, or you know, seeking shelter from the storm, which is why uh, Berrigan was here in the first place, seeking shelter from the storm because he was underground, um, having been arrested for a number of things. And he was a priest. Is he that was correct? A, for our was listeners, a, can you give us the thumbnail okay. sketch of who he was? Daniel. Dan Berrigan. Yeah. Dan Berrigan was born in 1920 was uh, from uh, Minnesota, moved to Syracuse, New York, was one of six uh, boys in his family. His father was rough and tumble. His mother was devout. Um, Dan was the fourth, uh, no, the fifth of six children and very intellectual growing up and decided that where he would make his mark was going into the seminary. Uh, He became a Jesuit. His next older brother became a priest, and his younger brother uh, became a priest. Phil is the younger one, Berrigan, and Jerry is the older one, Berrigan. Um, Jerry left the priesthood first, um, and then Phil Berrigan and Dan Berrigan had the same perspective that what it meant to be a Catholic and to be a priest was to be was to fight against uh, or to take a stand against uh, violence, to be nonviolent. And so, in their own way, they became well. Definitely, they became resistors and did it in a nonviolent way. One more out there. Phil than the other than Dan did. But Dan was also a poet and published more than 50 books and has been nominated or whatever they call it to be a saint. 
And I imagine that that will happen. And so the two of them with Liz McAllister, who became was a nun who became Phil Berrigan's wife when he left the church after being in prison for two and a half years. And Dan had been in prison for a year and a half. Uh, they became the Berrigan brothers and were very famous. As What were they in prison for? They were in prison for doing uh, protests, for pouring blood on draft files. Nothing ever violent, definitely surprising and um, shocking, uh, but never violent against any person. But at that time, you know, there was the war that we're having now about what is right and what is wrong and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable and who goes along and who resists. Um, so they were out there and they were both so handsome. That was the thing. They were just, they were foxes. The two of them. <laughs> Hot they priests. Were, they were hot priests. They were. <laughs> they were on the cover of Time magazine. Uh, Liz McAllister was gorgeous, and she was like Joan of Arc, and she was a model for lots of us who were in the women's movement. I mean, they were our rock stars. Yeah. They were, you know, Bonnie Raitt and, uh, you know, James Taylor. Speaking us. of which, I have a question. You may know the answer since you did a documentary. Do you think, or do you know, is uh, Berrigan, uh, Dan Berrigan, do you think he's the radical priest Paul Simon's talking he, about? Oh, he absolutely in, in, is. Me and oh, he is. He is. It's all, that's oh, a reference to Berrigan. Oh, there's lots of songs uh -huh. to Dan Berrigan. Okay. He was a cultural hero, uh, much more than, as well as a citizen of Block Island. Uh, but he was a key, and Dan, uh, uh, as Phil, um, were heroes to us in that time because they just did these outrageous things for the right reason. And they served as models. I mean, to me, at that time, not so much. You know, I uh, fire, what, my nickname was Sparky at that time. Um, so I was not nonviolent. Uh, <laughs> Uh-oh. All right. Don't no, tell my insurance company. No more details on that one. <laughs> um. But, you know, but he he was better looking than I was, and he stuck with it. You know, in Weatherman, it was like a flash in the pan. And then we had to figure our way out, and I became a nurse, and other people became lawyers and became teachers. Um, but... Dan and Phil, their entire lives, they took risks. They were in prison on and off their entire lives, sick or well. Um, and Dan was not always well. You know, at times he was a patient to Mary D. Um, they kept at it. They kept getting arrested. They kept standing up for what not many of us were willing to keep doing as it became easier to go on and, you know, become yuppies or, and he could have been, he could have been. The guy was so articulate, yeah. so good looking. Could have just written a book and made oh, a bunch of money. They, written 50 books. Yeah, yeah. He actually did spend some, some of his time on Buck Island. Was he kind of hiding out here? Was oh, he, he was wanted? not kind of hiding well, out. Fill it, me in. Yeah, how, know, did he, how did he come to be here? 30 plus places later, he was on Block Island with Big Bill Stringfellow and Anthony Town um, underground wanted 
Oh my goodness. You want to talk about wanted. He was among, I am not kidding you. He was among the top, the most wanted, those posters. FBI. In the, yeah. Yeah. Those posters in the post office. Find them. We we couldn't find it when we were making these films about him and and Phil, but uh, we certainly made some of of what they would have looked like. But most wanted, ten most wow. wanted. Why? One because uh, J. Edgar Hoover was Catholic, uh, was really reactionary was really good buds, to say the least, with Cardinal Spellman, who was the head of the uh, the Cardinal of New York, I think. Of that, the whole yeah. diocese. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he was fanatical about getting the Berrigans in prison for life. And wow. he would do anything. And I mean, the story goes to the point where, you know, and he made it very clear, had written about it, had spoken about it. He was a weaselly little guy, J. Edgar Hoover. <laughs> I mean, you just like, you just think about J. Edgar Hoover, Dan Berrigan, and Phil Berrigan, and put J. Edgar Hoover, ooh, with Spellman, put them in a group, and it's, it's comical. Oh, man. You know, who's good and who's bad? You know, who's who's standing up for us and who isn't? Yeah. So some of the community here had to know that they were being looked for and just and lots of people and, and, knew. And people just let them be. In like, what year you know, did they did 1970 70 is when Dan Berrigan yeah. arrived. Do we know how he arrived he, or he just kind of like snuck on and then right. who did there he was stay no with sneaking or? in. No. You know, you can't sneak, yeah, you can't sneak onto anywhere. Block There's no sneaking around. You can't now it's easier but back then definitely yeah, not. No. Well, just so crowded you can slide off that boat with 1400 people but then, you know, you knew it you knew someone new or different when they came in and the 70s. And people knew he was here. Yeah. yeah. People knew it was, you know, and I think that most of the island we're just fine about it. You yeah. know, yep. this Block Island, not that I was here at the time, at that time was live and let live. And this was a place that people came to be themselves, to, to leave other people alone, to be left alone, um, to do their art, to do their politics, whatever it was. It wasn't for people to judge who was here. Yeah. So he fit here. Um, and then the um, maybe through letters that Liz McAllister had written to Phil Berrigan when he was in prison, you know, love letters mostly, but making mention of Block Island. I mean, it really wasn't too hard for the FBI to figure out that Dan was here. Yeah. And then, and I only know some of this after we made the film and we started showing it, this is the Seeking Shelter film, that the Coast Guard surrounded Block Island. There were something like a hundred uh, uh, Coast Guard people, what are they called, sailors, or yeah. um, uh, on boats, on, on uh, Coast Guard boats that surrounded Block Island and some that came ashore to bust Bust the Boston. violent uh, uh, Dan Berrigan. And they were told, because we spoke one time at the library here when we were showing the film, these 
guys in the Post Guard were told this is going to be violent. This is going to be like busting the Black Panthers. There's going to be violence. There's going to be guns. Um, And this guy who we spoke to later said, we were furious that we didn't have guns. They put us in this dangerous situation to surround this violent revolutionary, and they didn't even give us arms uh, to fight him with. And meanwhile, for anybody who knew Dan Berrigan, he was the most gentle uh, guy on earth. Funny, sweet. Um, well, they painted the picture to, you know, we, yeah. we had a guest on who collects World War I um, propaganda, propaganda posters. posters. And it's all about the image you get into the soldier's mind of who the enemy is. And through these posters, they make them seem like this evil villain. And that's what they did there. They, you know made it out to the the coast guard that we're going in it's it's going to be bloody it's going to be terrible and you got a guy writing poetry exactly a poet <laughs> yeah. priest yeah right a poet priest who is over at um stringfellow and town's house uh they're in the living room uh they see these guys that looked look dangerous you know dan gets this look on his face apparently it's like uh-oh Listen, I'm going outside. I'm not going to let these tramps come in this house and uh, expose you all, uh, Anthony and uh, Stringfellow, to these these tramps. He goes outside. They're like, "You're under arrest." You know, he like puts the, he, they tell him to put his arms up or his hands up on the car. He puts his hands up. He's making jokes. Uh, <laughs> And they arrest him, you know, the the revolutionary, one of the 10 most wanted on Block Island. And, you know, people are still talking about, I was here then. I remember when that happened. And so part of the film Seeking Shelter was talking to those people who were here. What was it like? Um, and... Um, uh, and how long total was he here on the island for? Not long. Like days, like a week. weeks? Okay, okay, just like a week. Yeah, and Patrick Cobb tells a story of being working at a bar, and there were some of the FBI guys who were at the bar, and it was a stormy, it was a day like today, with a nor'easter going on, and they were pretending, these guys had binoculars around yeah, yeah. their- uh, <laughs> Pretending they were bird, bird watchers. watchers. Exactly, the <laughs> yeah, bird yeah. watchers. And uh, then their walkie-talkies went off, and <laughs> off they went uh, to make the bust oh, yeah. of the dangerous zero, Daniel uh, Berrigan. Yeah. A zero on the scale of one to ten of blending in. Yeah. 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 It's like, this guy's a cop. Yeah. Yeah, bird watchers, it's, they're very, yeah. they're, you, they're easy to spot. Yeah. You know, no pun intended. And they would not be out on a day like today. No. 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 There's nothing to see. No. And uh, generally speaking, they probably wouldn't have like a crew cut in an earpiece and aviator sunglasses <laughs> and a three-piece suit. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's really, wow. really crazy. Uh, again, and like your all work of, is cool. All yeah. of these are available. We can find them somewhere. You'll yep. f- you'll let us know. Yep. Okay. Cool. Because I, I need to I need to dive in. I got to do a Sue Hagedorn deep dive. A, a, I'm gonna binge. I'm gonna have a a binge watch over the winter. I think. Yeah. You should on the films. So how yeah. about Devout and Dangerous? Well, let's hear it. But what, what, what <laughs> is there more? No. What do you mean? I mean, devout and dangerous is not that story. 
What uh, is it? Devout and Dangerous is a feature length film that we started making about Dan. Um, you know, because Dan is much more than getting arrested on Flock Island. It's it, Dan was about, you know, standing up for what he believed. And he would make a great biography, a documentary about Dan Berrigan is, we wouldn't have been the first, but it would have been a great documentary. And again, using the style that I use of being with uh, people instead of like sort of objectify them or at least, you know, being a third person. I like being sort of a second person with people. So we started out with that and we filmed Dan right in the beginning when he was in the nursing home um, at, with Jim Reale. Jim Reale was my partner in making this film. Uh, called oh, Annie's Devout. dad. Dad, brother. Oh, brother, Annie's brother. brother. Okay. Yeah. And Willie Reale became a producer and this became a uh, Seedworks and Reale production. Uh, that took forever. He's um, a writer too, right? Uh, Willie Reale is a yes. producer and a writer and was married by Dan. And uh, Jimmy Reale was uh, mentored by Dan and lived in Jonah House where Phil Berrigan and uh, Liz McAllister sort of had their collective where they sent people out to do these uh, actions where they would... Um, uh, do nonviolent actions uh, on military bases and pour blood on missiles and all of that kind of stuff. Right. Uh, so anyway, so we ended up having to to add Phil in because, of course, he's the same story, and we had to add Liz in. So really, the story became the fam the a family story, and we use or we were really lucky to have. Frida Berrigan, um, as the narrator of the film. Frida is uh, Phil and Liz's daughter. So it became a family story about the Berrigans and who they've been from their parents, um, who had the six boys, to the at least three of the brothers um, and Liz, to now the next generation of Berrigans who continue the same work. That's it, what that was. What I was going to ask: Are they still? Are they? They're on, still that, doing that wow, work. Wow, you know, they wow. run Catholic worker houses. They write. They still stand for the same thing of nonviolent uh, resistance and Catholicism. You know, in the broadest sense of the world word. Pouring blood on missiles. I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah. So their big crime is basically trespassing. Yeah. Yeah. And pouring blood. And like, yeah. Well, you know. Yeah, maybe a little uh, light vandalism, let's call it. Yeah, nothing yeah. more. Yeah. But also, it's again, pulling the veil. Pulling the veil on, la-da-da-da-da, I'm just going to the beach, I'm just... You know, I'm just living my life. And then you have these great, what, what you might think of, and I must admit, sometimes I have thought that too, these crazy people yeah. who are at the Pentagon, you know, for 
God's sakes, I've just taken the kids out for the Sunday afternoon um, on the mall in Washington, and you have these crazy people who are laying down and not letting you go into the Space Museum. It's like, come on, will you give us a break? Or with that <laughs> ship, what is that ship um, in uh, New York, that big uh, carrier? Oh, um, the Enterprise. Is it the Enterprise? I think so. The great big one that school trips, yeah, that yeah. school kids go to. I think it's the Enterprise. To. Intrepid. The Intrepid. Intrepid. Dan Berrigan got arrested there and taken to jail, um, taken in a paddy wagon, locked up, kept there sometimes for days as an old man, at, you know, until he was about 90 years old, um, just laying down in front of the... Intrepid. The Intrepid. Yep, yep. Um, you know, and, and school museum, trips paid hundreds of dollars to go there. <laughs> um, and he wanted to say with other people, don't forget what this is all about. It's a war machine. Right. You know, right. it's uncomfortable. Uh, and it definitely was not comfortable for him. But uh, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. You've done a lot, I think. Well, you know, not lot. as much as the Berrigans. Yeah. No, no, but. You know, you anybody that helps them get recognized or know about understand them. That's but you do. That's important. And remind people of what they stood for and, yeah. and teach newer generations, younger generations that, look, this is how, you know, the 60s wasn't all about, you know, Woodstock and electric guitars. There was a lot more to it. And, and the, it hasn't gone away. No, and 60s, and 70s, 80s, yeah. 90s, teens. I mean, Dan at. Uh, what was it called? Wall Street. Um, mm. what you call it? Wall Street. Wall oh, Street. The, the stock movie. exchange. No, you know where the protest um took place. Oh, uh, oh yeah. Oh, take uh, back Wall Street. Or what was it? No, yeah, uh, what was it? Well, we know what you're. I yeah, know what know. you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 There was Dan Berrigan in a wheelchair. <laughs> oh my, uh, God. my God! It Man. never stopped. Wow. Well. How are we doing on time? Do you think we should? Uh, we, I mean, I'd love to keep going, but we should probably wrap it up, I guess. We it's probably been, should. Is there anything gosh. that you yes. uh, that we didn't touch on that you want to touch on? You want to come back and visit again with us sometime? Yeah, we'll come back. You sure? Of course. Uh, all right. I feel like we've got another hour or two in us at oh, some God, point. Oh, God, yeah. Right? We could oh, definitely yeah. chat. This oh, is, uh, we, yeah. we glazed over some fun stuff. No, yeah. one more thing. Oh, okay, yeah. do it. One more thing. Okay, so George Floyd gets murdered. And I was in Denver, remember? There was that horrible uh, lockdown. We were all wherever we were. Um, and then the summer was coming in 2020. And we were being, I certainly was, watching television nonstop. And there's George Floyd murdered and all of the uh, protests. And I'm thinking, well, I'm going to be coming to Block Island what can I do? I mean, how I can't be irrelevant. So I got in touch with some people at URI and said, what do you know about the Manassean people on Block Island? What do they have to do with history? What do people know about the Manasseans? And I ended up making a film, just a short film called Still Here with uh, Marianne, um, Goburn. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, about her experience of being a Manassean on Block Island and that 
they're still here. She's still here. And it has made some kind of difference uh, in terms of what we're paying attention to at the Historical Society. And um, and you see inside her house, too, what it's like to be her. Nice. And what's the name of that one? We're still, still here. here. All right. And it's that's on, done? It's done. It's on the website of the Block Island Historical Society. Oh, Okay. And when we're done or at some point, we'll text each other and get me some more information how to where to look for some of your documentaries. I really want people to check them out. Good. I, I've already checked out a few, but they're really uh, good and fun. So, Sue, thank you so much. Yeah, this thank was, you. I hope this was easier than you thought. I hope you weren't. It was fun. Yeah. yeah, we're, yeah. That's what we shoot for. Pretty painless yeah, for the most part. Two guys on Block Island? Come well, on. Well, once again, I learned a lot. I learned. Because, like, Wait, my, my brain's like overloaded right now. Yeah, I have a totally different, uh, not view of you, but a totally different understanding of you. Like, I think you really, you opened a veil to, to me during this. Like, I had no idea you were, so much stuff. I'm. But you know, I'm opening my head up. Come Work. on, in. Come yeah, on. close it down. <laughs> close it down again. But this was an awesome conversation, listeners. I hope you enjoyed uh, Sue's conversation as much as we did. That was a yeah. lot of fun. Thank you so much, Sue. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want to reach out to us, listeners, um, please do at two guys on bi at gmail dot com. And don't forget to follow us on all of the social media channels. And don't forget, wherever you listen to our podcast, just hit the subscribe button so you can, uh, you know subscribe and then uh, whatever you do tell your friends about us because that's the most important thing share the podcast with your friends yeah and if you don't have any make some yeah yeah well hey until next time all right see you next week hey rich what's up uh i got a i got a big bucket of uh blood here well, what should we go protest um hmm you know that's what? A good question. I have. I, oh, go, ahead. go ahead. No, you. you oh, well, go first. I, I, you know what? I hate clam strips. I like whole bellies. Oh, I was going to say great white sharks, but that might be a scary mix of bucket of blood and great, and white, a great white shark. shark. I don't think it, it would could. be effective. Right, let's start with the clam strips, and then we'll move on. I'm in. Down with clam strips. Oh, and one last thing. Whether you're a local or just visiting Block Island, pick up a copy of the Block Island Guide. Published annually for the last 35 years, it features 120 pages full of killer photos and all the details you need to know. Most importantly, it's fun to read. Well, that's how it all-